0: I think it's fair to say that the pandemic has drawn out what is the best about the community and the work that we try to aspire to. An interesting stat, which I did not believe until I saw the study, was that um, there was a, a Harvard study in 2016 that showed that editors' contributions tended to become more neutral over time, which is to say, the longer and more someone contributes, the more they learn to write in the way that tells the neutral story. So people all come with their biases, but the more you contribute, the more you learn to see those biases and contribute in ways that are uh, in that style of presenting the verifiable facts and not bias.
1: I'm Quinta Jurassic and this is the Lawfare Podcast, June 4th, 2020. This week on our Arbiters of Truth series on disinformation, Evelyn Dweck and I spoke with Ryan Berkeley, the Chief of Staff to the Office of the Executive Director of the Wikimedia Foundation. We've spent a lot of time on this podcast discussing how social media platforms have handled issues of disinformation and misinformation. But what about Wikipedia? It's a massive online encyclopedia written and edited entirely by volunteers. So not a platform, but still an online service grappling with a wave of untruths in an uncertain time. Ryan spoke with us about Wikipedia's unique structure, how the site has managed to become a reliable resource on an often untrustworthy internet, and how both readers, writers, and editors of Wikipedia are navigating the need for information amidst both the pandemic and ongoing protests over police abuse of Black Americans. It's the Lawfare Podcast, June 4th. Ryan Merkley on Why Wikipedia Works.
2: So... I've heard Wikipedia described, I think, by Jonathan Zitron, as the experiment that is terrible in theory but works in practice. The idea that we could crowdsource an encyclopedia and it would end up being full of reliable information is not intuitive, and yet it's remarkably successful. Um, According to Wikipedia, um, Wikipedia is the largest and most popular general reference work on the World Wide Web. Uh, It's one of the 20 most popular websites. Um, It has over 53 million articles with six point one million in English alone, and 1.5 billion unique visits per month. But I think it's fair to say that probably most people that use Wikipedia wouldn't really be aware of how it actually works and where all of that content comes from. So could you give us a brief overview on how uh, articles are created and edited?
0: Sure. Um, I I should get you to travel around with me to do the intro. That's a very nice uh, description of Wikipedia. It's the largest collective act possibly in human history. It's uh, a remarkable thing that as Citrine says, um, shouldn't work in theory, but completely works in practice. Everything on Wikipedia is authored by its contributors, by regular people like you and me, who uh, come with a desire to share knowledge freely, and they edit, uh, sometimes at the level of the comma, sometimes at the level of mastery of whole subjects. And that compendium and collection of human knowledge is generated and regenerated daily in real time. Uh, and so, uh, to, you know, sort of in brass tacks, um, how does this work? So you mentioned off the top, sort of 50 million articles, um, there are about 250,000 editors a month. And an organization behind that that is only 406 staff and none of those staff have the job content author in their title our job is to support uh, a movement and a set of worldwide contributors some of them expert some of them making their first edit as they try to contribute knowledge in over 300 languages worth of wikipedias there is no one wikipedia there's actually one for each language each one has a collaborative community that builds it um, so regular folks show up every day, sometimes on the mobile browser or on their desktop, and submit edits. Those edits are um, reviewed sometimes by humans in order for the to be criticized for their veracity or their accuracy or whether they are appropriately cited because every fact has to have a source on Wikipedia. They're also reviewed by bots uh, that uh, examine them for. Uh, vandalism, or uh, grammatical errors, uh, and or a lack of sources in what ought to be a citation. Um, and then there are also a series of folks who are admins and who are article monitors, so enthusiastic or expert editors who track articles or topics of interest, who see alerts when those edits come in, and may pass them by and say nothing, or may come in and, and comment. All of this work happens in public, uh, and so behind every single Wikipedia page is what's called a talk page. And behind that, on that page, you can see over the history of the entire article, the discussion of every single contested edit. Um, some edits are made and go live immediately and without, without issue. Other edits require discussion. Uh, and those, those uh, facts are negotiated by communities every day and uh, sometimes over and over again.
2: On that last point that you mentioned, that some edits go live immediately and then others uh, require further discussion. Um, Could you unpack that a little bit for us? How do you distinguish between those two categories?
0: Sure. So the the entire site, and I I, um, I don't want to misstate that. So every edit on the site, unless there are restrictions on the article, every edit on the site goes live when the editor submits their change. But uh, it is sometimes the case that those edits are questioned or contested or debated, uh, sometimes all three, by the other editors who contribute to that page. Uh, and so that then happens, a set of discussions then happens on the talk page where people say, I don't believe this has the appropriate source. Um, I feel like this is not written in a neutral fashion, etc." And those discussions happen and then some consensus is reached and they edit is then perhaps reverted to what was there before or perhaps accepted or perhaps modified. Uh, and so that, that happens all at the editor level. That's all regular humans, not, you know, there isn't a, a staff moderator who does that work. There are, of course, uh, administrators. There are, of course, experienced editors um, who contribute in that way. But at the end of the day, every editor shows up with their talent and their ideas and their sources and makes their suggestions.
1: One of the things that I've found really fascinating is the sort of cultural view of Wikipedia over the course of the last, um, say, 10 years. I remember being in school and having my, my teachers tell me, you know you can't cite to Wikipedia, you can't cite to Wikipedia, that's not a reliable source. And my feeling is that as as time has gone on, I've heard less and less of that. And actually, you know, you see jokes being made about that as something silly to say that now Wikipedia is more often held up as an example of a good place to find information, certainly something that, you know, you'd want to check, which is why the sources are are useful, but not something that is inherently unreliable because so many people are, working on it. So I wonder if you could talk about how, how you think about the role of so many editors, to what extent that is a, a strength and to what extent it creates complications. Uh,
0: I, I think it is a strength that absolutely creates complications. The the beautiful messiness of that is something that you know it brings us back to that early comment that it makes no sense in theory that it would that way it would function. But who will be the arbiter of the of who will be the final editor? Well, there isn't one, and that's for a lot of folks hard to grasp. And 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 so I, I think it's fair that you begin with this idea that for a very long time Wikipedia was not a trusted source or not a trusted site. Is maybe a better way of saying it. And that's a trust that the community has earned for the projects over many years of doing the work that it does. So what makes Wikipedia and the Wikimedia Project special is that they are radically open. They're open in their code, of course, but they're also open in the way that we do our work as a community. You can see not just the article, but you can see how the article became the article every single step of the way from its very beginning. And there's an accountability that comes with being transparent. In addition to that, and this thing, you know, folks all know this, that the sources on Wikipedia are cited. And so there's always a link to a reliable source. And that, again, is a thing that has built credibility for the projects over time, that those sources are there, that idea of citation needed, uh, and that people can follow them through. We know that most people don't. Um, most people don't follow those links uh, and and read the sources, but the fact that they're there and that they can be checked creates confidence. We also have research over time that has shown that when people learn that Wikipedia is written by a community of volunteers, immediately their trust in Wikipedia goes down. Uh, and they think, well, that's Ludicrous! Um, How could that work? Why should I trust that? And then over time, as they learn more about how it's done, their trust then goes up uh, because they see that there is accountability, that there is transparency, and that there is citation that sits underneath that. And so, yeah, I I think you're right. I think it's uh, it's very complicated, and yet uh, over time it has worked. I think I I also just sort of have to acknowledge that you know there's some that have said that Wikipedia is now one of the most trusted sites on the web. And I think part of that is the story I just told you about how that community works uh, and how that community is accountable to each other and to the world that relies on it. I think also, in many ways, the world collapsed around us uh, and things that were seen as trusted in the past are today less trusted. And so while our trust factor perhaps has elevated, the trust of other institutions has diminished that's not all good for us. Um, We're part of an ecosystem of knowledge. And uh, for us to have citations, we need there to be reliable sources to cite. And so the the attacks on traditional journalism that have reduced trust in traditional media, um, and also sometimes the behaviors of uh, media that have not been in line with some of the sort of traditional values of what media should do, like fact-checking, has made our work harder too in order to have reliable sources to cite.
2: Great. So that is, first of all, fascinating and really useful background, but I want to sort of dig in on that just a little bit. Um, we are a disinformation podcast. That's sort of the the idea that we're exploring here. And we wanted to talk to you specifically about uh, the challenges for Wikipedia in this moment, in particular around the protests and the pandemic. But you just referred to, um, you know, I suppose the big question in content moderation on the internet In general, these days has been who decides, and this idea that social media platforms are claiming they don't want to be the arbiters of truth, so they won't take down information on the basis of whether it's true or false. Um, But that's literally the purpose of Wikipedia. So, how do you go about resolving the truth of various stories? Like, what is your your process or policies around authority and reliability?
0: Yeah, Um, I think you know we would say verifiability not truth and all of the work that is done in disinformation and frankly all the production of wikipedia is done by its communities and led by its communities and so i'll I'll talk about this work because we work with those communities at the foundation but i really want to underscore and stress that they are the leaders in this work uh, and, and take point on it you know at every step of the way it is Community actors of various types who look at the elements of a fact or an article taken together and decide whether or not those facts hold up. So, the sources that are permitted to be cited are evaluated by the communities to decide whether they are reliable sources or whether they are non reliable sources. And each community does that in its own language community. So, English Wikipedia decides. You know does this source do fact checking? Does this source uh issue corrections and you know the kinds of evaluative things that that a community who wanted to decide if they could trust a source might do, and they use that to generate their reliable source list, which is also a public list um and so is the discussion about the sources so you can go back and see those. So that that's how you evaluate the source material. But then, with each edit, those communities also go through and evaluate them. In addition to that, you know, since we're talking about disinformation, which um, although has you know more than one definition depending on various folks' application of it, the the piece that I think is worth pulling out is a coordinated and uh, kind of malicious intent. Uh, and I know it's tough uh, to ascertain intent in an edit. But the idea that the intention was to misinform is attached to that. And so we're, you know, there's also layers in the administration and management of the site that allows us to do things like track sock puppet accounts that are being used to spread disinformation or identify malicious actors uh, on the back end. And there are groups of admins and what are called check users who are long-standing contributors who have risen into those posts and taken on those tasks through their expertise to evaluate those. Um, But even at that, even when you've identified uh, a potentially a malicious user, there's also a local context component to uh, look into, you know, what have they been editing and what is the content that was there and is it actually malicious um, content? Uh, And so it's, it's a complicated process and it has to be done and led at the community level at least it does on our platform. And, and this is one of the big ways that we are not at all like social media. And it's probably one of the most frequent questions that we're asked is, you know, what can social media learn from us? Um, what can we teach social media? And I, I do believe there are things that social media could learn uh, from some of the ways that we work around transparency about cited sources and, and that kind of layer of community accountability. But we are also not at all in some ways like social media while communities generate all the content, there is only one post, so to speak, for each topic on Wikipedia, not each person writing their own post and posting it as often as they like. And every post is editable by everyone else if it's not accurate. And we discuss that and debate that in public. And none of that is how social media works. And so, there, sure, there are things to learn, but also we are a very different animal with very different goals and a very different intent. Like, we are. We're a public good, um, as opposed to what social media is intended to be but a place for discussion or, or conversation.
1: So that gets to one of the things we wanted to ask you about, which is the, the five pillars that are the fundamental principles of Wikipedia that you all describe on this site. And I specifically want to ask you about the pillar that Wikipedia is written from a neutral point of view. There's this really interesting phrase, and in the pillar is where it states that, um, you know, in some areas, there may be one well-recognized point of view. In others, there are multiple points of view, each are presented accurately and in context rather than as the truth or the best view. So can you talk a little bit more about how you're distinguishing between sort of the truth versus neutrality?
0: I think the truth is a loaded term. And so we, we frequently turn back to this principle of verifiability, not truth that we seek together in the communities to try to understand the facts of what's available, what we can know or think we can know at this time and what we can then cite in order to show that. And I think that, you know the COVID-19 discussion right now uh, and the many, many articles that relate to it are probably a good example. There are many, many things popping up from day to day where people say, oh, this vaccine is in trial, this vaccine is untesting. And it, is, it can be really difficult to figure out what is a verifiable fact that we feel comfortable putting up because people are relying on it. And uh, especially in the space where, you know, let's say on vaccines, it is in the interest of every pharmaceutical company to say that our vaccine has progressed to this next phase. Um, but is there are there peer review articles that are available that people can see that show the efficacy of those vaccines? And so at what point do we start to include that information uh, in a way that presents it not as hyperbole, not as marketing copy or not as unfair criticism. So what can we verify based on reliable sources to present the facts to the best of our ability? And this is not a sort of fake, you know, tell both sides, but actually a, what do we think is the best version of the verifiable facts that are available to us based on on the reliable sources we have available to our community.
2: So let's talk about the pandemic and the challenges for Wikipedia in that context, specifically a little bit more. You know, we're in this... um, this environment that the World Health Organization has called an infodemic, alongside the pandemic, with the flood of information, and a lot of it is is false and harmful. But people are really hungry for facts, and they need reliable information. So mm-hmm. um, let's let's start at the beginning. When did Wikipedia sort of first realize that this might be a really exceptional moment for it, and um, what sort of usage have you seen of Wikipedia during the crisis?
0: You know, I I can't tell you the exact moment that we realized um, that that this was turning in this way, but I can certainly say that it felt like we were at least a week ahead of some of it. And we shut down our offices in San Francisco in anticipation of a coming pandemic the first week of March, which I know some other, especially some of the Silicon Valley companies had done that. So we closed our offices in San Francisco and D.C., we were certainly seeing in our international community what felt like a coming wave. And I think our online communities were absolutely seeing it as well. You know, I, I do have a couple of the stats in front of me around the COVID response. So you, over 5,200 Wikipedia articles about the pandemic, those articles are in 175 different languages. Um, and they've been visited at least as of this podcast over 380 million times, and we've seen some of the highest traffic in the history, uh, or at least we've seen some of the highest traffic that we've seen. Um, I can't say ever because we changed the way that we track traffic over the last five years, but we have not seen higher numbers than these in terms of the, the visits to the site. And that's not just on COVID articles, that's on all of Wikipedia, And so we're seeing people turning to the projects more and more looking for information about everything, whether they're looking up the 1807 Insurrection Act, um, which had an enormous spike in traffic uh, this week, or whether they're looking up information about COVID-19. You know, those articles on COVID-19 have been edited over 700,000 times, something like 170 plus edits per hour since December of last year, uh, and almost 60,000 editors having contributed to those pages. So, there's you know, an enormous amount of activity around those articles, and it's also generated a more focused response on the community side. And so, not every article has a, a an organizing project around it. Um, and so, there's um, a quite well known community project called Wiki Project Medicine, which is a group of experts and, and medical professionals who help to coordinate. Um, how articles get attention and response and edits in order to ensure that the best best information is there to try to coordinate the way that information is shared across various articles. Um, As you know, sometimes that information might appear in many different articles that relate to different parts of a particular topic. And there is one explicitly for COVID-19, where a group of uh, individuals are working on that as well, uh, in order to try to coordinate that response, to triage what articles need the most help, um, et cetera. So we're definitely seeing that kind of coordinated uh, response to have like a sort of central place where volunteers can kind of get together and collaborate around uh, those articles and content.
2: Let's talk about something else that you mentioned earlier then, which is, you know, this, the the story of the internet at the moment, or one part of it is a story of purposeful disinformation. And you talked about bad actors who are trying to mislead um, rather than just, you know, sort of not having uh, verifiable information for any number of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what you might have seen in that regard on, on Wikipedia in relation to the pandemic and how you handle it?
0: The, the pandemic has been interesting. I would say that um, where in other kinds of topics, we have seen different kinds of disinformation that are sort of more politically motivated type of disinformation that hasn't been in as much in the same case on COVID. Um, and from the folks that I've talked to who work in the social media space uh, so, folks at other companies who are in social media, they're seeing—they're not seeing the sort of same kind of state-sponsored uh, disinformation around the COVID issues in the same way. That is not at all to say that there's nothing, but the kind of not—perhaps not, not surprising—profiteering or attempts at profiteering that comes from advancing uh, particular theories of treatment that would advantage folks who are trying to sell solutions. It's more that more that type of thing is uh, germane to the COVID crisis. We're seeing more in that respect. We haven't seen the same kinds of attacks of disinformation as the social media platforms have really suffered from, and I think that stems from us being a very different kind of project. Um, I said earlier that you know there is a canonical article. And that article is edited by everyone and in real time and constantly that circumvents some of the traditional, for lack of a better term, modes of spreading disinformation, like using a WhatsApp group or posting through many, you know, bot accounts on Twitter, putting it into the feeds of various folks. Those tactics don't work that way on Wikipedia um you're still you know you're they're all trying to edit the first paragraph of the same article there's certainly there are other tactics on wikipedia there are less less trafficked articles that are sometimes targeted as opportunities to get a cited source or a source there is the attempts at using unverified sources to see if you can get them on there both to launder the source that is if it's linked on wikipedia uh then it gives its credibility uh, but also to use um sourcing in order to get facts on there and I want to be super clear we are not perfect at keeping disinformation off the platform but what I think is important is that we improve our ability to identify it as quickly as possible largely by enhancing the ability of our communities to do that because they are on the front lines of doing that work but the question is like of course, we are going to see disinformation on the platform. It would be impossible. There's too many vectors. There's too many articles. There's too many opportunities. And or a wide open platform that allows anyone to edit It's part of our, our values. And so we're absolutely going to see that on the platform. The question is, how quickly can we stop it? How quickly can we reverse it? Uh, and what what tools can we put in place to enhance our community's ability to do that?
1: And so, are there particular examples of challenges or issues that have cropped up with the pandemic that uh, Wikipedia either wasn't expecting or wasn't quite ready for?
0: I don't think I've got an example for you of not expecting or not ready for. I think that, you know, one of the ways that, and I I don't want to overstate that we are flawless at this. And so, you know, take this in the context of saying, you know, with the humility of knowing that we're not perfect, but You know, Wikipedia and the Wikimedia communities have been in the business of disinformation for 20 years, of trying to identify whether things are fact or fiction, whether sources were reliable, uh, and trying to remove them uh, as quickly or prevent them from making their way into the articles. I'd say the sheer volume and attention is is in itself an enormous pressure and challenge. Uh, And I think the communities have done a really amazing job at doing that. I also think they are absolutely off their feet working, trying to, to do this because they also accept the kind of enormous responsibility uh, that comes with that enormous traffic that we talked about. That means more and more folks are counting on us to get it right. And also, and I think you mentioned this in your earlier, one of your earlier comments, you asked about you know, the way that content travels uh, around and um, you know inconsistent sourcing or inconsistent messaging, you know, the, the Wikipedia projects are increasingly being used as source material for other things. So Google is drawing upon some of the COVID related information that we're tracking and pulling it sometimes in real time into their results. And so if it's wrong on our platform, in some places, it can be wrong everywhere. Uh, and so it matters a lot that we get it right. So in in addition to the human piece, which I talk about a lot because the whole thing just kind of doesn't work without that, there are also a lot of automated functions and tools in place that allow us to respond. Um, I mentioned right off the top that there are bots, um, most of them written by our communities uh, that allow us to track for things that look like vandalism, uh, that correct errors, uh, that identify unsighted facts as they're posted, uh, and those things run 24-7 in real time. Um, on the projects. In addition, there's a number of tools that are available to the communities in order to respond. And so, for example, this sort of, I mentioned the alert system. And so an a, uh, editor with an interest in a topic can track that topic and get alerts when edits are made. And so that allows a sort of early warning uh, when changes have been made. And so if you if you edit the article on HIV AIDS, there may be over a thousand editors who get an alert that that article was edited, uh, which may call those editors to come and have a look at what was changed and whether uh, they wanted to subsequently edit that. There's also the ability, and this happens a lot on highly contested articles, to protect those articles. And there's many tiers of protection, so I won't go into the detail, but the, the simplest version of it is there are ways to lock down an article to various degrees to slow down the process or to restrict who can edit to a certain degree. So one of the layers of protection restricts editors who have made less than 30 or for accounts that were made in the last 30 days. So you can imagine, somebody who was spinning up a bunch of fake accounts would be unable to access and edit that article. And so those kinds of tools are available to admins in order to slow things down Uh, and to ensure the integrity of the article. Or if there are highly contested debates or what are sometimes called edit wars over a particular point, that article can be locked to allow the more experienced editors to try and sort it out and to kind of let cooler heads prevail so people can work it out. Um, And some articles can be locked for many years. The article on Donald Trump has been locked since uh, his election in
2: 2016. So that description of all the tools available is... Super useful and I think answers a bunch of questions that that we had about, you know, how how Wikipedia like tackles these challenges. It almost I mean, there's just so much concern at the moment about disinformation and misinformation online, but it almost sounds like the level of attention that the pandemic is getting and that you know wikipedia in particular is getting is is making it uh, is is almost helpful in a way you know the idea like all bugs are shallow with enough eyes like would you agree with that is have you needed to deploy those kinds of tools more often in the context of a pan, of the pandemic or is is the idea that the community is kind of mobilizing and it's being really effective
0: I can. I will never be able to say enough good things about the work that the community does, and I think they've been really effective. I also think they're very tired, uh, and just to be very fair to them, I think it's a. It's been a lot of work, and some of them, especially given that this is a, a pandemic, um, some of those folks who are experts who contribute to those projects are also medical doctors and medical professionals, um, and so they are working double duty, uh, trying to you know help save lives and also. Uh, contribute to Wikipedia which they believe in their hearts also helps save lives so I think it's a lot you know we've seen huge spikes in traffic we've also seen big increases in contribution uh, people making edits people coming to get information but also people coming to share information there's a bunch of factors behind that but I think in general because it's a project that anyone can contribute to and anyone can edit to if you use it if you're using it more you may eventually be compelled to contribute. Um, I also have to give a little plug to the product team, uh, who have done some really cool stuff on mobile uh, to bring people into the editing suite to kind of invite people into being editors. Uh, I was playing with the mobile app this afternoon, and they're they're looking for like low bar ways to draw people into editing. Which you know, every everybody uh, tries it, editing Wikipedia once, and and lots of folks never come back and because they don't have a great experience or because they think it's too hard or because they're intimidated. Um, And so finding ways to invite people in is really important to us to create a, a dynamic where every person who has something to contribute can.
2: It's just such a fascinating observation. Really, this dichotomy, like that you were talking about earlier—the real difference between Wikipedia and social media platforms—because I think, um, like the fact that Wikipedia is moving to try and get more people in and have more people involved in the editing process, whereas around a lot of other social media platforms and things at the moment, the the the, the, the thing is like we need more guardrails and we need more um, sort of some sort of top-down control of this rather than that. Democratizing model, which I guess, I guess what you're saying is like you're really just doubling down on uh, that model and that uh, that strength. Would you say that that in in the context of the pandemic, would you say that's a fair characterization?
0: I think it's fair to say that the pandemic has drawn out what is the best about the community and the work that we try to aspire to. An interesting stat, which I did not believe until I saw the study, was that um, there was a, a Harvard study in 2016 that showed that editors' contributions tended to become more neutral over time, which is to say the longer and more someone contributes, the more they learn to write in the way that tells the neutral story. So people all come with their biases, but the more you contribute, the more you learn to see those biases and contribute in ways that are uh, in that style of presenting the verifiable facts and not bias. So that's interesting. That to me says, let's lean harder into bringing more people in and making sure people stay uh, and can continue to contribute because the more they learn about Wikipedia, the better they are at building it together.
1: That's fascinating. So to move from one sort of event that is really uh, very much in the public consciousness right now from the pandemic to another with the, the protests that are ongoing around the country about the murder of George Floyd and police brutality more generally. So again, with the pandemic, I'd imagine, you know, many people are watching this unfold online and are seeking facts as they are about COVID-19. And that must also raise unique challenges for Wikipedia, especially when with a sheer level of political polarization right now, there's so much miss and disinformation and just confusion about what's being spread for example i you know i live in dc there was misinformation going around about communications in dc being cut and that wasn't true so how does wikipedia approach sort of a really fast-moving political event like this
0: a couple of things that are worth noting and i'm, I'm glad you brought this up because it feels as, as urgent and pressing as COVID 19 feels where the entire world seized with the pandemic it's impossible for those of us who either live in the U.S. or who have colleagues and friends in the U.S. to ignore what is happening there. And it's um, utterly heartbreaking uh, to watch this happening. And uh, as an organization that believes in sharing knowledge, this, you know, the idea that people should be able to peacefully express free speech is, you know, not only, you know, a First Amendment right, but also should be a principle of any functioning civil society. And so, it's really, really, it's been tough for for us, for my colleagues, especially my colleagues who are black, uh, to experience this kind of violence in their communities, despite its sort of history. Uh, to see it uh, in this way and from the highest office in the in the U.S. is just really gutting. Still, I think two things I would say to respond to your question. One, the Wikipedia community did what it always does. It immediately stepped in to try and tell the story as accurately uh, and as completely as it was capable of. I think it's important to know that we are not journalists and we are not social media. It is not our job to be first or fastest. And in fact, because we cite a reliable source, we will never be first. And shouldn't be and while there are certainly folks who make it their business as contributors to Wikipedia to get there as fast as possible with certain things and if you ever see if someone has died uh, often a celebrity you will find that the changes to that person's article the um, is's to was's as we sometimes say get made very very quickly and people jump to be accurate but at the core of our values is to be right and to be accurate not to be first, and that helps a lot because we don't have that pressure to hear a breaking news report and immediately think that that must be in the article. The first instinct of a seasoned Wikipedia contributor is: Are there reliable sources for that? Can we verify it? Especially with breaking things, are there more than one, not just one? In terms of the actual Black Lives Matter response, we, we pulled some of those numbers too because I thought you might ask about it. So. The article you mentioned, George Floyd, the article about the death of George Floyd uh, is now in more than 50 different languages as of our conversation here. Uh, And the English Wikipedia article about uh, George Floyd has more than 2400 edits by over 525 editors since it was created last week there's also articles about the sort of mass uprising which has happened all over the world something like 27 countries and counting over 3000 edits on that and so with every edit the Wikipedians are doing their best to document history with reliable sources and as i mentioned you know the covid and the wiki project medicine Examples where volunteers come together to coordinate to ensure an effective response on a complex issue. That's also true for this issue. And so, Wiki Project Black Lives Matter has uh, a coordinating page where they track all information, where they're trying to triage their response and ensure that facts are are shared appropriately, but are also doing work around um, running an editathon in June that they have planned in order to really generate accurate and, and uh, complete articles about the movement and related topics.
1: So one, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the community model, because despite, as you say, has really been the overall success of that model, there have also been some concerns about harassment and um, homogeneity in the community of editors, maybe exacerbated by this sort of hyper-passionate volunteer base. So Wikipedia uh, recently introduced a new code of conduct uh, to address this. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really proud of uh, the, that work uh, and the, the, the team and the community who led that work and the board's decision to issue that statement because it's an acknowledgement that if we want to enable the sharing of the sum of all human knowledge, that we need to create places where everyone who has that knowledge can contribute it. I think it is well known uh, and acknowledged by the foundation and by our communities that parts of our communities have been hostile and that we haven't done enough um, as a community and perhaps also as a foundation to address those issues. Um, And so the, the thing that you're referring to was the Board of Trustees statement from last week, essentially directing the foundation to take action in order to protect individuals at risk on the projects and also to work with our communities to develop, as you described, what we call a universal code of conduct. And so we think of that as sort of a, a baseline set of behaviors that can be enforced with an acknowledgement that every single community is different and that some communities, perhaps many, will want to go beyond the baseline and and have other codes that are unique to their community, but that we will agree that everyone will at a minimum meet those expectations. I'm under no illusions that that's going to solve harassment on the platform, but it does two things. It sets up a set of expected behaviors and subsequent mechanisms for response, for communities to respond and enforce that code. And if they have to issue corrective action, including in the worst cases, ban people from the projects. Um, And in some cases that'll have to happen. Um, But it also sends a really important signal to people who have felt unsafe on the projects that we are going to do better and that those projects could be a place for them. And I'm sure there are folks who have come and had a bad experience and left or who have heard by reputation that Wikipedia is a place that is not friendly to women or not friendly to people of color. And we need to change that. And the, the first step is to saying we won't accept it. But the most important second step is to actually do something about it. Um, and so I, th- I think I think it's a, a positive step. We've got a lot of work to do. We still have to write that universal code of conduct with our communities and implement those processes together. Um, but I think it's really important. And I was proud that the, the trustees did that.
2: So just as a final sort of looking ahead question... I think there's this sort of general feeling at the moment, both in popular consciousness, but also amongst a lot of the experts that we've been talking to here uh, on the podcast, um, that it's a particularly bad period for dis and misinformation online and that it's only going to get worse. Um, and there are real concerns about sort of the rise of conspiracy theories um, and, you know, sort of seeing lots of engagement and traction and, and numbers around that. But, you know, our conversation today might, you know, as you said, accidentally restore our faith in humanity um, when you talk. <laughs> About how the pandemic has been a success story for Wikipedia, because people are really pulling together to try and get reliable information out, and sort of you know, the the idea that that extra sort of community based model with everyone uh, with everyone's eyes and attention on it is really sort of working out those bugs. But how does Wikipedia think about this moment and looking ahead and the challenges ahead and your role as a source of reliable information, given this environment where there's just this real concern that you know i I, I hesitate to say the post truth era because I think that that's catchy but but overblown, but you know just this real sort of feeling that that facts are, are hard to come by
0: this- two things that I would uh, I'd want to uh, follow up on your question with one is a question about the state of things and you're you open with the suggestion that maybe this is the worst worst ever moment for disinformation and, and I might I might agree with you so I'll, I'll talk about that in a second and the second is about how we're thinking about that and and so I'll try and cover those those two things in my answer first of all I recall a meeting I was at at um, the Berkman Center at Harvard where Evelyn, you and I are both affiliates uh, there, if I read your bio correctly. And uh, I was at a meeting talking about disinformation, and Jonathan Zittrain said to me uh, on the topic of Wikipedia, you know, if a well-funded, coordinated entity, let's say a state actor, decided that that they were going to mount a campaign in order to ensure that particular types of disinformation made their way onto the platform, could you stop them? And the answer is, no, they'll beat us. Of course they will. Well-funded, coordinated, well-planned, coming at us with all their resources and the resources of a state, 100% we're probably going to, in one way or another, get beat. And I said that and felt a bit lousy about it, to be honest, in that meeting. And then one of the other representatives from a very large social media platform said, yeah, but come on, they beat us too. And those folks have a budget that is about a hundred times what our budget is. And so to your opening question, yeah, these are bad times for the people who are fighting against disinformation because those with the resources have all the tools and they have motivation and they have seen the power of what they can do. That to me is is the reality for sure. And it definitely isn't the case that disinformation got invented Just recently, I mean, we just used to call it different things, whether it was propaganda or, you know, so it's not new as an idea, but it certainly feels more weaponized and instantaneous and infectious than ever before. Uh, And the ability to activate witting and unwitting actors in that process is a thing that was just never before so easy and so pervasive. Less so for sure on our platform, but that doesn't mean that we're not victim to it. Because if a million WhatsApp messages go out and a small, small percentage of those folks think those things that they've read were true and come to edit the Wikipedia article, which lots will, that's a problem that we need to deal with. In terms of how we respond or thinking about our response, I think there's sort of three pillars that we're thinking about. The first is... Research Um, because this is a dynamic environment and the tools are constantly or the actions are constantly changing. uh, We need to understand the ways in which disinformation manifests itself on the platforms. How is it getting in uh, and how are we finding it and who's doing it? Um, And that's going to be a constant activity for us to track so doing threat modeling and risk assessments and then being able to prioritize where we can intervene uh, and where we are at risk second is about leaning into our community and i I use the word community really broadly that could mean the people who every day edit uh, and contribute to the wikimedia projects but i think it also means the broader community of people who care about disinformation who research it who identify it who track it who study it including yourselves we need people to understand how we work, and especially in the ways that we're different. One of the things that we found in our conversations with disinformation researchers is that while they may know how Twitter or Facebook work back to front, including their APIs, often they don't know how we work. Um, And if they don't understand how we work, they are less likely to be able to help us understand where where we're vulnerable. Um, And so I think that's on us to work more closely with uh, those communities to help them understand us because, you know, the content that makes its way onto Wikipedia, while it may be harder to corrupt an article because it's so many eyes on a single article, the prize is much greater because if you get it wrong in the first paragraph of a Wikipedia article, if you can corrupt that first sentence, that's the sentence Siri reads when you ask her a question. That's the sentence that goes in the knowledge graph on Google. That's the thing people read when they get a link attached to a conspiracy theory on a YouTube video. And so we are a central point of success or potentially failure. So it matters a lot that we work well with those communities. So it's the researchers. It's also the other folks who reuse our content. And it's also our actual and direct movement and communities who build the projects. And then the last thing is tools. Um, And so we're looking at ways that we can enhance how our communities do their work. Um, I talked about some of the bots that we already have in place. Again, largely authored by communities, but we also have a team inside the foundation that is doing research and prototyping on ways that we can use machine tools in order to augment their searching. I sometimes say that, you know, looking for disinformation, is like looking for a needle in a stack of needles. And that's a human task. And so how can we simplify that task or how can we focus the attention of those admins and check users and editors so that they're seeing a shorter list of things to evaluate to use their time most effectively? We're in in the middle of a pilot project right now where we're doing social media analysis to identify topics that may then be subject to disinformation on the projects, uh, and we've been publishing a regular report that goes and uh, goes to the editing community uh, and testing with them whether that's a useful thing, whether it helps them keep an eye on certain things or whether it's just noise. And so we're you know we're trying different things uh, and always doing it in collaboration with uh, the communities that actually lead the work, so that um, our, our focus is helping them do better because they're on point for this work.
1: All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see what that looks like going forward. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: You've been listening to The Arbiters of Truth, the Lawfare Podcast's miniseries on disinformation. You can find past episodes in the Lawfare Podcast feed, and we'll be back for another episode next Thursday. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. Our audio engineer is Zachary Frank. And our producer is Jen Pacha Howell. Please rate and review the Lawfare Podcast on whatever app you use. And thanks for listening.